0: If you would like to borrow a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll pass one out to you. The ushers will pass one out to you. You can follow along with us this morning, and just leave it in the pew where you're at when you're done. If you're in school, college student, grad student, we've got food for you, pizza, sweet setup too. So on the way back to campus, we encourage you to come to that college luncheon. Really sweet setups in a hospitality suite at this very, very nice condo building. So hope you can make it there. Did you get your Bibles? All right, let's turn to Malachi. Let's turn to Malachi. We are back in Malachi again. We'll be there four more times after today. And we're covering the second disputation or charge that the Lord is going to bring against his people. And this disputation is a long one. It lasts from 1-6 through 2-9. I typically will read the text. I'm not going to read it this morning because it's pretty long. And the section here is aimed at the spiritual leaders of Israel, the priests. And as I was studying this this week, I said, God, you're speaking to spiritual leaders of your people. Whatever you want to say to me. Say it. Correct me, rebuke me, whatever you want to do. I want you to have the same open heart also. And it's a, it's a scathing rebuke this week. It's a scathing rebuke with threatened judgment. And basically, this just kind of sets you up these men are guilty of facilitating a worship that is going through the motions. Are you familiar with the terminology going through the motions? We can use it within the worship service that we are just going through the motions of worship. Are you familiar with that terminology? It's like we can sing like we just did. We can have a little sermon where you listen, have the offering plate being passed out where you give and pray, and you can do all those things, but your heart is not really in it. But here's the striking thing, is that, when you are going through the motions of worship here on Sunday morning, it's very likely that you are going through the motions of life. The, the two are connected. It's, it's not like you come in here and you go through the motions of this worship service, and, but when you get into life, you go all out for Jesus. No, the, the two are connected. So if you're giving some half-hearted singing here this morning... Chances are that your life during the week is lacking some serious joy in the Lord. If you're like quasi paying attention right now to the sermon or even have a desire to pay attention, then you, you probably have some nominal interest in obeying during the week. And if you're giving during the offering time, it's, it's not very sacrificial. It's kind of cheap. I'm not talking about how much money you make, but it's just cheap. It's not sacrificial. Chances are you're, just, you're a cheap person. You're not very sacrificial in your relationships. I mean, the two are connected. It's not like we do one thing here on Sunday and the rest of life is everything else. How you worship in here is how you're going to worship out there, and how you worship out there is how you worship in here. How you worshiped last night has a bearing on how you're worshiping this morning. The two are connected. They really are. This is not separate lives. It's all of life worship. When you read the Bible, it talks about all of life worship. And so if you're going to the motions in here, it's likely that you're going to the motions in life where your heart's not in it. That's the issue we're dealing with in Malachi. That's the issue. These priests are propagating a corrupt worship system because they are living corrupt lives. The two are are, are really connected. They were just going to the motions of Facilitating this corrupt worship and they are going through the motions in their lives and I have been studying this text all week and, I, and I've got to be honest with you this is the hardest sermon I've worked on all year without a doubt and my study this is the hardest it's a large chunk of text and I've been thinking I was thinking Lord why were the priests doing this why were the people doing this why were they going through the motions in their worship and in their life and, and I started to think about my life I started to think about your life. When we go through seasons of indifference, we go through seasons of drudgery, we go through seasons of boredom in worshiping the Lord. Why do we do that? Like, why do we have seasons like that? Like, right now, maybe we're just totally bored. You're like, I'm here, but I'm not really here. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Why is that? And so I was pressing into the text this week. saying, Lord, speak to me. Speak to us. Why does that happen? And as we study this morning, let's study with an open heart. And may the Lord show us how someone who can be so passionate about the Lord can drift into indifference. And let's try to figure out, for those of you who are here in that state of indifference, how you can drift back to this wholehearted, all-of-life worship. Are you ready? Verse by verse, we're going to go through. Let's do it. Start with verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant is master. If then I'm a master, where is my honor? Uh, if I'm father, my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? Now, this is a typical pattern here of these disputations. Did you catch it? The Lord, like, throws a, a something at them they're doing wrong, and then they speak back. They, they challenge them. They're like little kids. They're, they're challenging their parents. But these Israelites are challenging the Lord. And the charge here is that the priests have failed to give honor to God's name. They've despised it. The priests have, in a sense, said this. this is, I'm going to repeat this over and over again so hopefully you'll get it. This is what the priests have said. They've said, God is not great. God is not great. That's what they're saying. I mean, they may believe that theologically that God is great, but their hearts are saying over and over again, God is not great. Because if God were so great, then they would not be under the Persian occupation. If God were so great, in their minds, they wouldn't have this little dinky piece of land in the vast Persian Empire. If God were so great, they would have an army, like in the days of old. But they don't even have an army. If, if, we, if they served this great God, then their crops would grow. But where's the rain? And so in their mind and in their heart, God is not great. Keep in mind that God's disciplined them for their sin. That's why all these things are happening. But in their heart, they're like, God, you're not great and we do the same thing theologically our church is awesome I mean most of you theologically can have a great conversation about the sovereignty power greatness of God you can write big papers that scare us all on the bigness and greatness of God but your hearts can doubt it your hearts can say you know what my life is an absolute mess so God must not be great I'm in a problem right now that I can't get out of, so God must not be great. How do I even get out of this problem in the first place? God must not be great. And so when it all comes down to it, if we have this issue in our lives where we are not giving honor to God, it is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's not figuring everything out theologically. All right? It's a heart issue of believing and trusting in the greatness of God. A heart issue. So stick with me. Let's keep going. So these priests, they're clueless. They're challenging God. How have we despised your name? Well, look at verse 7. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So the priests have failed to facilitate proper worship. Instead of facilitating proper worship, they are facilitating corrupt worship. Let me tell you how they're doing this. If you're going to facilitate proper worship as a priest, you would only accept animals that are without blemish, that are not lame That are not sick. Like a lamb would have to be perfect. Because you want to make a perfect sacrifice to the Lord. Why? Because you want to show that God is great. That he is perfect. And you do not want to give him these cheap, junk sacrifices. Because he is due all the worth and honor and greatness in our offerings and sacrifices to him. But in their hearts, what's happening? God's not great. God is not great, and so they bring these junk offerings to God's altar. It's pictured as his table. Can you imagine God at his table? You go up to his table, and you put these junk offerings of lame, uh, blind, and, and sick animals. And you say, here, God, here's my costly offering. And he says, you know what? You wouldn't even give that to your Persian governor. Why don't you take those lying, I can't even say this, blind, lame, and sick animals, go take those to your Persian governor. Would he accept you? Or would he show you favor? The answer is, no, he would not. So why would you bring those animals to the Lord? And what's the answer? God is not great. God is not great. He can have our leftover junk sacrifices because he's not great. Keep going. Verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. So not only does this offering displease God, but you know what God says? He goes, let's go ahead and shut the whole thing down. Let's shut the whole worship system down. It's this tainted worship. And it's not just tainted. It's, it's evil. It's evil. So shut the doors. We're going to close the temple. No more worshiping. It's like you show up this morning at our, at, our, at our church building here, and there's a sign on the door that says, our church is closed. And someone would say, why'd you close the church? You can't close the door. Why'd you close it? And the answer would be, no more fake stuff. No more going through the motions. And so if the temple's closed and if the, the church doors are closed, then how in the world is God going to be praised? Where is honor going to come to him? Well, if it's not going to come from you, it's going to come from someone because God will get his praise. His fame will spread. And so shut the temple doors. Well, look at his praise. Verse 11. Where is he going to get it? Look at verse 11. This is great. This is great. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, this is good. This is so good. So you would think that the fame of the Lord would spread from Jerusalem to the nations. But Jerusalem and the priests, they're offering junk sacrifices. So God's saying, let's just shut this whole system down since you think that God is not great. But God says, I will be praised and my name will be great from, look, you see it there, from east to west. Or it says, from the rising of the sun to its setting. And it says in this text, there's going to be incense offered in his name, pure offering, and it's going to be presented to God among the nations. Now, you're an Israelite, right? Malachi's time. You're thinking, okay, where's that happening? When's that going to happen? Look look, look at the text again. It says, my name, check it out, will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. For my name will be great. So it's talking future. It's got to be talking future. It's talking future. And this is what should really get you excited. You're living this now. You're living this now. The praise of our Lord is coming from the nations because we had Israel completely fail in their worship and honor and greatness of God. And who has succeeded? You say, well, we've succeeded. No, Jesus succeeded in his perfect offering and sacrifice to the Lord, in his perfect life. He is the one who brought worship and glory and honor to the greatness of, of the Father and now we who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ are spreading the fame of our Lord among the nations. I love seeing everybody in here because not all of you are from this state. Not all of you are from this nation. There are many of you from all around the world and you come in here and we're singing songs together and we're like How is it you can worship the Lord like I worship the Lord, like you worship the Lord? How how are we all in this together? Because of Jesus. The fame of our Lord is spreading, and one day it will spread completely to all the nations of the earth through Jesus. This prophecy is being fulfilled in our midst through Jesus. Our great God's fame is spreading to all the elect of the nations as they're ringing out this great praise, how great is our God. Good stuff right here. Good stuff. The back of these foolish priests, here we go. Verse 12. But you profane it. That's his name. You profane my name. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. Among the nations. So God's intent that His name is to be great and feared among the nations. Here we go once again about his fame spreading. He's, he's a great king. And, and it's not like you're saying, well, he's a great king uh, among all the other kings. This is saying in a language that's saying he is the king of kings. He exceeds all other kings. And all other kings are under his authority because he is the king of kings that is spreading his fame. And these Israelites have experienced it. They were God's sovereign choice. God redeemed them in the past out of Egypt, brought them into the land. They disobeyed. He disciplined them. He took them to the land of Babylon, punished them there, disciplined them there, brought them back. He is the king of kings who is planning, in this text here, a worldwide worship service that will come to fruition through the Messiah as his name and fame spreads. He is a great king, and we should be jumping around being so excited that we serve this great king. And you know what the priests do? They yawn. They're bored. They say, God is not great. Well, that's not their exact words. Look at their exact words. Do you see their exact words in verse 13? Look what they say. But you say, what a weariness this is. (laughs) They view the worship of God With weariness, boredom, and indifference. And it would be a big deal if it was just the priest that had this attitude. But the people have the same attitude. Because it's the people who are bringing these junk sacrifices. Some of these sacrifices are taken by violence. They're bringing these sick and lame and blind animals. So the priests have rubbed off on the people. And the people have rubbed off on the priests. They're kind of just rubbing off on each other. And either way you look at it, there seems to be an agreement of indifference. This is what they were doing. This is is very, very funny. Uh, Obviously, it's no laughing matter, but I think it's funny. This is called going through the motions. This is what they do, okay? So, an Israelite would bring a perfect spotless lamb to be sacrificed before the priest. And he would say, I'm bringing my lamb... I'm vowing my lamb as a very costly lamb. It is my sacrifice to the Lord. It's cost me so much, but it shows that I love the Lord so much that I'm willing to sacrifice my lamb. So I vow by lamb. This is what they do. And they would take their lamb away. They'll say, I'll see you in about two months, Mr. Priest. And I'll bring this valuable lamb that I've just vowed to sacrifice to the Lord. So I'm going to take my lamb back, okay? So two months later, he comes back. And he comes back and his lamb is totally missing an eye. He has one front leg. And he's got this terrible cuff. And if you're a priest, you would think, Dude, what happened to your lamb? Did he like get into a fight or something? He looks terrible. What's the issue? It's not the same lamb. He's got that perfect lamb at home. He's keeping that one for himself. He brings this junk sacrifice to the Lord, and you wonder, why would the priests do this? It's because they're cashing in with kickbacks. Look, if you're going to not take perfect lambs, you'll take just any a lamb, well, then the worship's going to be up at the temple. The church is going to be full, right? People are going to bring all types of sacrifices, and he'll get more kickbacks, get some more money, and the people get to feel religious. So everybody's happy. It's an agreement of indifference. And if we're not careful, you and I can make an agreement of indifference. I will dispense to you religious goods and service. You pay my mortgage. You feed my kids. Deal? I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I won't push too hard. If you're getting a little uncomfortable, I'm sorry, I'll pull back. I'll tell you what you want to hear. We'll make this agreement together that we all can be comfortable But with God, there are no deals. We don't set the standards. We don't say, okay, God, we're going to set the standards of worship. No, God sets the standards. And you know what the standard is? It's God. God is the standard. And he will be great. And when we start cutting deals where we're going to water down the greatness of God, then I'm guilty. And you're guilty of devaluing the grace of God. There will be no deals. Chapter 2. And now, O oh priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So he's calling these priests to give honor to his name. we got that part so far. But he's not saying just do it through ritualistic sacrifices. No, he's asking them to do it from the heart. So please underline this in the Bible. You can underline it in the Pew Bible. I don't care. Underline this next part here. He says, if, verse 2, it says, If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. Underline that. Take it to heart to give honor to my name. God is calling his people not to duty. He's calling them to devotion. I want to make sure you get this. Well, I'm not saying, okay. Everybody, let's sing louder. Come on. You stinking worship. Sing louder. Come on. Put some more money in the offering. Give a lot more money. And then go out of here. You better try hard. You better try hard this week and, and worship and do your duty. Uh-uh. God is not calling them to duty, He is calling them to devotion from the heart. If you have your Bibles open right there, look at chapter 1. Look what he said in verse 2. Look at the way we started out all the disputations. The first words of the Lord are in verse 2. Do you see it there of chapter 1? What does it say? I have loved you. That's the way we start the whole book. God loves his people. He has a history of loving his people. And right now, he's calling them to love him and give honor to him because he first loved them. Are you catching your motivation for worship? It's not about duty. It's not about doing your best. Your motivation to worship is because God loves you. He sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins. If you've repent and believed in Christ, you're saved by grace. Worship is to erupt by saved people. We're not calling you to religion. For those of you who are used to religion, doing your best... That's not what we're about. We're not about religion in this place. We're about the gospel. And as we break off to go to our ethos communities this week, we are going to hit it hard. We're going to slam religion in a very gracious way. And we're going to hit hard the gospel. Let me show a couple things for those of you who prepared for your ethos community this week. A couple things that were in the section from the, the Tim Keller material. The first one is about religion versus gospel. Religion says... I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Do your duty. God might like you. Gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Do you get that? I've been changed in my heart. God already accepts me, therefore I obey. Look at the next one. Religion says, motivation, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. You don't obey, God is probably going to get you and it's going to hurt. Gospel says, Motivation is based on grateful joy. Do you get that? Grateful joy. I'm just so happy that God has saved me from my sins. I've been reconciled to the holiness and great God through Jesus. And, and too many times we hear that, the idea that there's, there's gospel and grace in the New Testament, but there's no gospel and grace in the Old Testament. But give me a break. God starts the book of Malachi off by saying, I have loved you. Grace Permeates the Bible. It's always been the motivation. It's always been the motivation for obedience. Grace of our Lord who first loved us, and we love and erupt in worship in return. It's not about duty, it's about devotion. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. The dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So there's no future for these priests, there's no future for their descendants, if they continue in tainted worship. God will figuratively spread dung on their faces from the offerings. That is gross. If you've ever stepped on dog dung, isn't that disgusting? How about being a priest and you get this spread all over your face? It's figuratively saying, you know what, guys? You're so corrupt and so polluted. The dung that's supposed to be removed from your offerings way away from the worship site, you know what? I'm going to spread that on your face and I'm going to remove you. Yikes. Yikes. God is very serious about how he is worshipped. He's going to remove the priest because he wants his covenant with Levi to stand. This is the priestly line. And now the Lord reflects upon how this this line of Levi was intended to facilitate worship. Look at verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, And he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Oh, this is good. So God's intention for the priests was for them not just to offer the right sacrifices, but to actually walk with him. Not just to offer instruction and knowledge to the Israelites, but to live a life of integrity, holiness, and standing in awe of his name. So the call of the elders in this church, the call of me as a pastor, is not just to study, preach, counsel, and lead. These ministries are supposed to flow out of my personal walk with the Lord. Are you getting that? I'm not just doing my duty. I'm supposed to walk with Jesus. My best thing that I can do for you is walk with Jesus. You can say, "Well, you're just preaching good sermons. You're just counseling good. You're studying great. You're just doing a good job." No, I need you to walk with Jesus straight up. That's what you need to focus on: walking with Jesus. And out of that should be an overflow of joy. It should spill onto others. But get this: did you know that every single believer, every single believer, is called a priest? Every believer is called a priest. There's a verse in the New Testament about you are a priest. You are to facilitate worship among others. You might not come up here and preach but you are supposed to facilitate worship among others. But get this, as you facilitate worship among others you yourself are also supposed to be a worshiper. You facilitate worship among others you do it because you're a worshiper. Now, I know most of you don't have kids, but for those of you who do, we want to teach them about Jesus, right? Yes, we do. And some people in this church uh, teach their kids the Bible, and some people in this church do this thing called a wana, where we teach our kids scriptures and help them memorize scripture. But did you know, when you teach your kids scriptures, it's supposed to be an overflow of worship. So when you get with your kids, a lot of the smaller kids this week were learning John three sixteen. So when you get with your little small kids, you're supposed to like let your teaching to them be an overflow. So you say to them, for God so loved the world. And they say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. that He gave." It. So you're teaching the scripture. But when you're reading that, you should like scare your kids. You should be like, can you believe that that says... That God loves us. That he saved us in sending his son. You should get so excited that your kids get frightened. You want this to spill over onto them. But, what do we often do? You better learn this first because I'm going to look really bad when you go to Juana and you don't know your verses. I'm going to look like that bad parent. But those kids don't know anything. You better learn this. You're going to make me look bad. There's a distinction there, right? I want to overflow. And for those of you, I'm not going to ask you to show of hand, but I know many of you lead a Bible studies on campus. You're not supposed to be just giving out facts. It's supposed to be an overflow of worship in your life. As you prepare, you're transformed and you just go out and you just spill all over the people you're teaching. For those of you who are ethos community leaders, remember last week we had all those people line up on the stage. They're the leaders of your ethos community. Did you know the topic that you are teaching on this week, you better have looked at it by now, especially you Sunday night leaders, the topic you're teaching on this week, are you ready? Is heart. Can you imagine preparing a study about the heart and leaving your heart out of it? You better not do that. Get caught up with it, and then when you lead your ethos, let it spill over Everybody, Because that is God's intention. As you facilitate worship among others, you are to be a worshiper yourself. But not these priests. They were the total opposite. Look at verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instructions. So these priests have failed to facilitate worship. Instead of turning people from iniquity, they've turned people to iniquity. They have corrupted the covenant of Levi and God is going to expose them and bring them down before all the people. And when you're studying Levi... Levi, you're studying Malachi, thinking about the covenant of Levi, it should make you say, please, can we please have just one priest who will step up and facilitate this proper worship? Please, just give us one priest who will stand in the gap, represent God perfectly to man and man. Just give us one priest, please. Unfortunately, we have that priest and his name is Jesus Christ. Where all priests have failed, Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest who facilitates perfect worship from the Father to the Father. Through his life, death, and sacrifice, Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest. And what is such the good news is that Jesus Christ, our perfect priest, forgives every single person in here who repents of going through the motions. If you're going through the motions you can repent and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will transform the heart of people who say God is not great and he'll transform their hearts into saying how great is our God. If you're here this morning and you can say how great is our God, Jesus Christ, our perfect priest, has transformed your heart. If you find that you're going through the motions in here this morning, you can press into Jesus Christ and find forgiveness through our great high priest and God will transform your heart to say how great is our God, not just in here, but in all of life. We want to press into Christ, press into him by faith, draw near to him through faith, and continue to abide in him, and out of this life will flow worship. It's what we call in our church abiding worship. Last week we talked about something called invested sojourners. It's part of our ethos. We want to invest wherever we're at, but also part of our ethos is something called abiding worship. The idea that we want to cultivate encourage, spur one another on to abide in Jesus Christ. And as we keep ourselves in, the Je- in Jesus, in the gospel, and the greatness of God expressed through Jesus, out of this relationship with Jesus will overflow worship. We're not trying to get people who are really dutiful in their religious life we want it to overflow through abiding with Jesus. When we're talking about abiding, we're talking about daily dependence, dependence on Him through prayer, and a continual pressing into His grace, continual reminding ourselves of the gospel of grace. It's a daily abiding. So if you find yourselves going throughout your day, and I know you do because I do too, you find yourselves going throughout your day, you're rushed, you've not um, spent any time acknowledging God, and it gets to be around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you stop and you say, You know what? I've gone all day today. And I have not even thought about God. You ever done that before? You're like, how is that possible? I've been living for myself. Have you thought about God all day today? When that happens to you, what do you do? Do you think, well, I better go do something good to make up for it? I better go be nice to my coworker or read the Bible really quick and so I can feel better about myself. But what is abiding worship? Abiding worship says, I'm going to press into Jesus. I'm going to come back to his grace. I'm going to come back to the gospel and say, there is my true joy. And out of that will explode worship. And so if you're in a season right now of indifference, if you're in a season right now of going through the motions, if you're in a season right now where your life is an absolute mess, you do not even give God a time of day, any time. What are you supposed to do? And your answer is, fix it, right? I to fix it. Like, what is your first step if your life is a mess right now and you're not walking with the Lord? What's your first step? You're going to start fixing stuff one by one. Just fix everything. But what I'm calling you to, what the Word of God is calling you to, what God is calling you to is return to me and I'll return to you. It's not to go out and do your duty. It's to press in to the gospel. To press in to Jesus. And what you'll find in abiding is that the worship will overflow, not only in here, the worship will overflow in all areas of your life, and it will enable you, by God's grace, to start to deal with stuff, to start to deal with going through your motions, to start to deal with going with indifference in your life. Press into Jesus, and let the worship overflow, and by God's grace, you will start to deal with stuff, and your attitude of, God is not great, will turn into, how great is our God? How great is our God? Let's pray. Lord, we want to be people who worship you. We want to be people who worship you in all of our lives, who worship you in the morning here, the afternoon, and tonight. We want to be people who obey you, who are transformed by the gospel, not because we're doing our duty, but we're transformed by Jesus Christ. For those of us here who have been going through the motions, Lord, we just repent. We repent of our indifference. We repent of saying that you're boring. We repent of going through the motions in life where we're not obeying. We're not giving you the time of day, Lord. We want to press in and abide in the grace of Jesus. Do a work in our lives. So you turn these going through the motions into abiding worship, continual abiding worship. where we bring you praise glory and fame, and we join the nations in proclaiming how great is our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.